Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Fate has brought us together in a hotel room at the Marriott next to the PPG Paints Arena in downtown Pittsburgh. Andy, you are you are not here to cover the Hokies, but we're here to talk Hokies. Tell us why you're here first. PPG Arena in Pittsburgh. That's a that's a tongue twister that you have there. I am nailed uh, it. Uh, we are a bit short staffed these days in the Roanoke Times. Uh, Nappy King obviously having a well deserved retirement around Christmas, so I have been called up to cover Radford. Uh, in its first NCAA tournament appearance since 2009. Uh, the Highlanders winning a game in the first four in Dayton, so that moved it on to be the 16th seed against first top seed Villanova in the East region here in Pittsburgh. So uh, I am joined my uh, week-long moonlighting as a basketball beat writer this time of year. Well, here's what we're going to get into. We're going to dig into this Alabama Virginia Tech matchup in the first round of the NCAA tournament. It's an 8-9 game. A lot of uh, you know things you can look at there in any kind of coin flip situation like this. So we'll talk about this game. We'll, we'll briefly touch on Radford as well since they're an NRV team and uh, know a lot of people who, who like Tech also you know have some interest in what goes on over by the New River. Uh, and we'll do some football talk too. Uh, the spring football uh, session is about to start for the Hokies. Uh, Andy has some news and notes uh, heading into spring football, and then we'll end it with a prediction, as we always do. And the prediction will be whether Virginia Tech advances out of this game or not. Andy, uh, Virginia Tech is a two-point favorite. You you were, obviously, everyone knows, uh, you worked in Georgia. You covered Auburn. Uh, you covered S- SEC basketball uh, during your time when you were an Auburn beat writer. Uh, so I guess you probably know a little bit about Alabama basketball history, but Alabama has not made the NCAA tournament for six years. This is a, a rare thing, and they barely got in by the skin of their teeth thanks to their point guard, Colin Sexton, this year, uh, who had a pretty magical couple of rounds in the SEC tournament. Uh, what are your thoughts on this Alabama team? What do you know about them? What what uh, What stands out, anything besides Sexton perhaps? Uh, not a whole lot. You're, you're going to put me on the spot here. I'm going to be like Stu Gatz and try to fake my way through this. It's, like, oh, it's, 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 it's an NBA team, NBA coach, Avery Johnson. Don't be surprised if this team, uh, I don't know a heck of a lot about it. You know, when I was down there, Anthony Grant was the coach uh, at Alabama. And he just, I think he made the tournament one or two times, something like that. But he was just always like this brooding, just dour presence there. I don't know. He just never seemed happy. Uh, at Alabama, I don't know quite what it was. Uh, I think not being get to get over the hump down there uh, was probably the thing that ticked him off the most. But uh, it was sort of sorry state of hoops when I was covering Auburn and, and Alabama. Tony Barbie and Jeff uh, Lebo were the coaches back to back at Auburn and never made the tournament any time I was there. This is actually the first NCAA tournament I've covered since I think it was that 2007 tournament where Tech and Virginia were both in Columbus. Correct. Uh, so yeah, this, this is you know you know, getting rid of the dust of my basketball writing chops here to cover this stuff. But yeah, I don't really know a whole lot about Alabama other than they, they made that run in the SEC tournament. You know, before that they lost five games in a row to finish the regular season before they got to that tournament. So I'm looking at them like, how good is this team really? Right. Obviously I have a singular talent like Colin Sexton, but I, I just don't know how good or how deep this team is, but you know, beat a couple good teams in the tournament. Uh, you know, Kentucky ended up beating them in the championship game, but they handled uh, Auburn soundly. I mean, that, I, I think I was watching that game on in the background. Auburn was up, and then Alabama went on like a 34-7 to run or something like it. It was some incredible run and uh, kind of put the game away. So they have that capability. They could, they have sort of a, an explosive capability there. Well, I had short-term investments on Alabama in, in each of those games that they won. Uh, they did not, those games did not collide with the ACC tournament games that I covered in New York. So I, I got a good close look at uh, Sexton and uh, I was pulling for him a couple times there and he, he came through. I mean, he is every bit what everybody says he is. I mean, he, you know, he's what Trey Young was before Trey Young kind of fell off uh, a cliff a little bit in the middle of the season. Um, he can carry you. Uh, what's, Interesting about him is just how fast he hits gaps in the defense. Now, Virginia Tech, as we've written quite a few times, you know, ever since that Miami game, their their strategy has been to pack the lane and not allow people to get to the basket, not allow people to get to the free throw line, give up those perimeter shots, um, but don't allow that stuff 
in the lane, uh, I think that's a good strategy against Sexton because if you if you give him an opening, he will take it. Um, very creative, very quick, uh, very long for I think he's only six foot two, but his wingspan's like six six. Um, he's projected to go. I know I saw CBS Sports has him projected to go fifth overall in the NBA draft in this this summer. Uh, he's a he's a lottery pick no matter how you slice it. Um, we were debating what a lottery pick was earlier today because I wasn't sure what that it's actually top means. fourteen. Top, is that what yeah, it is? Yeah. So I mean he's he's in that range for sure. Uh, most people have him in the top ten, but he's one guy, and they have other guys, and that's you know what the Hokies keep saying is hey we got to make, make sure we remember they have other guys, but uh, they pretty much go as he goes. Well, you. Here's something I just remembered about Alabama. Is you remember that game earlier this year they played against Minnesota where there was, there was something that caused the bench to get upset and like everybody kind of came on the floor a little bit and the referees ejected the entire bench. Uh, and then they had two other guys foul out. So by the end of the game, they're playing three on five oh, right, against right. Minnesota. And Sexton scored 40 points in that game and they almost won. They came back and I think they lost by like five points. So. That's sort of a, an interesting game there, but that sort of tells you how good he was as an individual player. He's got two teammates. They're they're on a you know two man power play essentially for the end of the game. I, I forget how many minutes they had, but uh, that was just something that, that stuck out in my mind real quick with Alabama. But I forgot what you, what was your question? Where were you? I didn't off? really have a question. I mean, they have some length too. They have some size, and length is a problem for Virginia Tech. It was a problem with Florida State. It was a problem with Syracuse. Uh, you know, these teams, almost everybody's bigger than Tech, but those teams that are really long and get those arms up there and rebound over them, uh, that, that creates a lot of problems. And we know that uh, Buzz Williams has only a few tenants that he really looks to every game, and one is not turning the ball over, making sure you get a shot on every possession possible. And the other is offensive rebounding. Don't allow the other team to get offensive rebounds. Well, they're going to probably give up a few in this game. The way they'll have to counteract that – is you know with their with their pace with their shooting with everything that they they do well uh, offensively uh, how much how much I mean, did you watch that Notre Dame game? Um, I did. Okay, uh, that was a pretty epic collapse there, just on all fronts. I mean, it really was. Uh, you're watching and you're like Notre Dame is just stinking it up shooting wise. Like you figured they'd start making some shots and come back a little bit, but then Tech sort of lost its cool there. I know Farrell had the acting job on the technical foul when Chris Clark gave him that little shove. I mean, he he, he gave him a, a slight little shove. I don't think Farrell's going to go barreling into press row on that one. Uh, you know, senior veteran move there by Farrell to, to draw the technical foul. But that was just sort of one of those games where it's like the only way Tech loses is if everything goes wrong and they sort of melt down mentally and, it, you know, they just sort of were mental midgets in that game. They just sort of collapse in the whole thing. And I think that gives tech fans a little bit of concern going into the tournament, but you know, that's a week ago. It's one game. I, I got a question last week for the mailbag. It's like, how long is it going to take to get over that loss? It's like, well, in the grand scheme of things, it's not like tech was going to win the ACC tournament. It's not like that ended their season or was, uh, you know, a number one seed, their number one uh, ranked team that they avoid couldn't upset because of that. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't a great loss, and that sort of seed will be in the back of your mind forever. But I don't think it's the end of the world that they had that. I, I can see them, you know, shaking it off and coming out and having a good game here tomorrow. You know, I think if you're a person who gets bothered by officiating, college basketball would be the worst sport for you to watch. I don't know why anybody who gets gets frustrated with officiating all the time would watch college basketball because every it's game three seconds ref make the call three seconds just pick a different sport you know like i don't get i don't get bothered by officiating even even if there's short-term investments involved whatever i mean you know the people make bad calls it sucks but i i get tired of the twitter timeline filling up with the refs cost us this game and it's right. like it's like just stop stop with that i mean it, you, there's gonna be bad calls in every game i it just i guess I don't know. It's sort of uh, this this victim mindset that I'm not saying it's you know just hokey fans. I'm saying all fans and of all teams all do this. And uh, yeah, the the technical foul on Clark was uh, was iffy for sure. Uh, but Clark, you know, gave enough of a nudge there to to make it callable. And it just you, it's something you can't do. I mean, Clark's better than that, and he knows that. Um, well, it didn't help that the Hokies couldn't buy a shot. They couldn't buy the a shot. Um, I mean, you got to be able to score at least a little bit 
it's funny because it was one of those games. It started at seven o'clock, so you know you you don't have to write too much before you, um, you know, before the game ends because you have a little bit of time there. Not like those nine, not like tomorrow night where you'll have to write quite a bit while the game's still going on. But I hadn't written anything, and you know I didn't really have to. I mean, I kind of had in mind what I was going to write, but I didn't really. Uh, once once Notre Dame started coming back, I was like, Notre Dame's winning this game. Like they went from you know looking like completely lost to Virginia Tech looking like the team that was completely lost, and it was it was a bit baffling for sure that they could go from being so good to being so bad. But to your to your point, I agree. I you know it's it's over with. I mean they they they're not gonna care about that now. These these are the games that really truly matter, and I think that's one thing people get a little sad and, you know, nostalgic about with the ACC tournament is that, you know, back in, back in the olden days, I mean, winning the ACC tournament was everything, you know? Right. And, right. and now it's like, well, it's all about what, how's it going to affect your seating for the tournament that really matters. And, and you know, um, unless you're Virginia and cut down the nets, uh, you know, if you get ousted, there's, there's some positives you take away from getting ousted early. Well, we can rest up and all that stuff for the games that really matter. Well, you know, the, the Hokies have a pretty good, point guard themselves there and you you spent some time in the locker room talking to justin robinson today what what did he tell you uh his mindset is going into this game it's interesting because he's not taking a backseat at all to sexton he's and he you know at this time of year you often hear well nobody outside our locker room is giving us any respect the interesting what spin he put on it was that the hokies don't give themselves enough respect they don't talk about themselves enough. They don't trumpet their own accomplishments enough. They don't believe that they're as good a team and, or as good of players as they actually are. You know, he pointed out that they played the toughest in-conference schedule in the ACC and had a very good shot of finishing third. If they'd have beaten Miami, they would have finished third in the league. Um, he pointed out that they've, you know, they've beaten Virginia and they've beaten four top ten teams at the time that they played them. I mean, it. He's right about all of that, and he says, "Look, I, you know, I've been told all my life, you know, that I need to uh, be humble and 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 defer to people and and all that." But he says, uh, "I think we just need to accept the fact that we're we're a pretty good team, and we need to." We need to believe that going into this rather than talking about everybody else and how good they are. Is he saying that from a sense that, like, they're not playing with enough confidence because they're not giving themselves enough credit? They're, they're, they're not getting enough credit from outside sources? I feel like the media has been pretty praiseful of this team and how they've played at times this year, but it's been so up and down that it's tough to be just sort of universal with that. I think it was a bit cloaked uh, criticism of, of the all-ACC team, you know, where, where he says, look, we, we finished – we could have finished third in this league and we had one guy make all ACC and it was me and it was second team, you know, I, cause I asked buzz about that after I talked to Robbins, I said, I said, buzz, I said, you know, this is what Justin said. Um, what do you think he means? I mean, does he mean that you guys need to play with a little more swagger this time of year? Because that's the kind of, uh, uh, mentality you need for this, these kinds of games, or what do you think he means? And, and, Buzz went on and on about how, you know, he hasn't done a good job of lobbying for his team with the media. He said he doesn't do a very good job with the media in general. He doesn't really like talking to us very much. Um, no objections from the media. <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean, the, the availability is not always there, but I mean, it, I've never personally never had huge issues with him. I mean, I'm, I'm not a beat writer, so I know but I, I, I empathize with those guys who are. And get um, get you know, you know they have to wait or whatever. And it's, but I, if I don't get buzz, I just go without buzz. Uh, it's not really possible for everybody. But I guess what he was saying is, look, you know that what what they've done as a program is he said it's near miraculous what they've done, going from you know finishing in the, in the cellar for four years in a row and then making back to back NCAA tournaments. I mean, he's right. I mean, yeah, he's not wrong. He's right. I mean, they've done a, but, but yeah, I think in our little bubble here where you're getting mailback questions and you're, you're writing about what a good job he's done. Uh, we're on this podcast talking about what a good job he's done. And, you know, I'm writing all the time, what a good job he's done and what a good job the team has done. You know, it's easy for us to forget that maybe, you know, everyone else is talking about Alabama. You know, and Alabama's got 15 losses. I mean, that ties the record for at-large loss. You know, a team with at-large losses, an at-large team number of losses. So, I mean, maybe you know, maybe maybe he's right. Maybe everybody should be. This, maybe the storyline of this game is wow. 
you know, Virginia Tech's a really dangerous eight seed. Maybe that's what the storyline should be instead of, well, Sexton's here. You know, uh, that's the that's what's interesting about this game. Well, there's one way to remedy that, and that's to win a game. <laughs> I mean, if they had beaten Wisconsin last year, I think people would have looked at this and go, this is a battle-tested tournament team. And instead, that's what they were saying about Wisconsin last year because it had made it, you know, 20 straight years until, uh, you know, the team kind of stunk it up this year and did not make the tournament. So uh, yeah, I think that respect or that praise for the program comes with uh, achievements that you have over time and, and, and the big wins that they had this year, the wins against Virginia, Duke, you know, Clemson RPI wise, even though I still kind of question how good Clemson is, uh, UNC, uh, a top notch team. I mean, those are legit wins that makes you take note of the program, but it seems like every time they'd have one of those games, they turn around and they lose to Louisville or they lose to Florida state or they lose at Miami or they lose to these teams. It seemed like it was all sort of, uh, even uh, strength teams right there in the middle of the conference that they'd have a really bad half that would cost them. It seemed like they were up in all those games, then they just kind of gave it away, or the other team charged back and they they won it at the end. So, uh, yeah, I think in time you win some of these games, you start to get that reputation. Like you know, Xavier for the longest time has been like, well, they're a guaranteed win or two in the tournament every year until now. They're this year they're the number one seed in their region, I, I believe. Uh, so yeah, that that comes with time. But I, I think Buzz is right. Going from where they were when the program took over to where they are now, uh, that's a remarkable turnaround. I mean, Virginia Tech has a basketball program again now. That's the important part. And for a long time there, it felt like, man, this is just hopeless. What how's it ever going to turn around? Do you think they the Hokies have gotten enough credit for beating Virginia? I mean, that, that's the one conference loss Virginia had. One of only two losses overall. The other one was in that snake pit of Morgantown is a very tough place to win back when uh, West Virginia was playing very, very well. Uh, I mean, that, do you think they got enough credit for, for knocking off a team that, that has been number one now for several weeks? Probably not for yeah, the way that they did it. Right. I mean, it was, that was a really low scoring game. I mean, really once it got to overtime, Virginia Tech should have lost that game. Weren't they down like five with, yeah, a minute Both and a half left. It yeah, it, it was before. a, it was a Virginia choke at first, and or Virginia Tech choke at first, and then Virginia choked at the end. So, uh, maybe that was the team that didn't play less bad at the end won that one. Maybe that's why they don't get enough credit when in, in that one. And, and the Duke win was sort of the same way. I mean, Duke kind of you know fell asleep there at the end of that game and didn't score in the last five minutes. And some of that's due to Virginia Tech's defense, but uh, I think some of it was just Duke kind of hit a funk at the end of that game. So I guess. Uh, perhaps those are two sort of qualifiers you put on those two huge wins that they had this year. But that UNC game, that wasn't close. I mean, they just they just waxed them from the start and just outplayed them. So, uh, yeah, I would say they probably don't get enough credit for that win. If a team's only lost two times all year, you probably should get credit for beating them. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if everybody's impression of Virginia is, is the same as mine, but I just walk away from any game I cover Virginia, and I'm just so impressed with everything they do. I mean, just – just you know, I, I'm watching Tony Bennett and his team cut, cut down the nets, and I'm looking at this coach, and I'm thinking, if he was cast in a movie, you'd say this is an unrealistic movie. You know, like he's too perfect. I mean, I know this is a hokey podcast, and people aren't going to want to hear good things. About people are barfing Virginia. right now, but McFarling. I mean, Farling. like what he has done, and every single one of those players in the, in that Virginia locker room just parrots everything he says. I mean, it is. It doesn't matter if you're from Philadelphia or Guinea or New Zealand. You, you, you're just all in with it. And I know it helps to be number one and they only have two losses and all those things. It's easy to have harmony that way. But I think that's the biggest job of any coach is to get that everyone pulling on the rope on the same side. And I think Buzz has done that a good job of that in Blacksburg too. Um, let's, let's talk about what a win would do for Virginia Tech if they were to get it here. Um, you know, obviously they, they went one and done last year. It was kind of expected. Um, you know, they were five point dogs in that game. They're actually favored in this game. Two point. We'll, we'll pick who we think was going to win later, but what would a win do if they, if they did get it? I think it's the next incremental step for this program. I mean, you're not going to go from, Hey, we've never won a tournament game in 10 years to you're in the final four. I mean, I, I guess South Carolina kind of did something like that last year. I don't know how long their drought was since they had won a, a tournament game, but uh, those sort of fleeting stories where it's a very short moment in time where you just burst up and all of a sudden you're great. 
I think it builds up to that point. I think Virginia was sort of an example of that. And how many times has it lost? I mean, it still hasn't made a Final Four. It's working incrementally up to get to that point. Uh, you know, Wisconsin, I mentioned that before. There's a lot of times where they would always get past the first round. They couldn't get to that Final Four. And then they did a couple times with that really veteran group uh, that, that played together for a long time. Uh, you know, probably should have won the national championship a couple years ago if they learned how to cover a, a, a pick and roll against Duke uh, in that championship game. So... Uh, you know, I, I think a win's the next step. You you have to you have to be able to beat a nine seed before you can have dreams of beating this one seed. So you, you got to beat a team that you're you're relatively even with those coin flip type games. And uh, if you can do that, you can get into that eight nine or, or nine versus one, eight versus one game. And you know you're playing with house money at that point. What do you have to lose yeah, if you I mean, get to that? You can talk about being in the top twenty five. You can talk about making the tournament. You can talk about rankings uh you can talk about who you beat in the regular season but the bottom line is who <laughs> you're judged almost solely on how far you get in this in this tournament that's just the way this sport is when buzz williams was hired it wasn't you know he's he's coached this many ranked teams he's he's made these many sweet 16s that's what everybody was talking about and that's why you know he was um, so it made everyone so excited when he was here because of the promise of of advancement in this tournament. I mean, look at Virginia again, you know, people will say, well, yeah, great, great regular season. Yeah. You won the, but how far are you going to go in the tournament? That's the, that's a big missing piece. And they've had, they've had some shortfalls in the tournament. So I don't know. I, and let, let's look at the flip side. What would a loss, you know, would a loss really set them back or would it matter how they lost? You know, if they get, if they get clobbered, I think that's different than losing on the last second, but I don't know. Maybe the last second shot hurts worse. Who knows? Well, let's just say I would not advise losing like they did in the Notre Dame game. <laughs> right. That would not be good tip. Uh, that would not be the wisest way to go about this. I, I think a loss would make it kind of feel like momentum had maybe halted with the program, where it's like, oh yeah, they did this exact same thing last year. They they get to the tournament, they're an eight or a nine seed, and they lose in the first round. It would be like, well, what was the advancement this year? How are you, how are you moving forward with that? And I, I guess you could say uh, some of the big wins they had, maybe standings wise. I forget where they were in the ACC last year. It, it was such a crowded ACC this year. That I don't think I don't look at seventh place and go, oh, that's way down there, middle of the pack. I feel like that was sort of in that second tier behind Duke and Virginia. Uh, so that's pretty good, but. Yeah, I, I think a loss, uh, I think some people go, uh, how how much forward progress are you making on a year-to-year basis? Because that's where you look at. You look at how far you got in the tournament. Uh, did you get any further than where, where you were before? And uh, I think for a lot of people, they just want to say that they've won an NCAA tournament game. I mean, what's been since 2007? 2007. I mean, it was, it was that Columbus. They beat, who was the first round? Uh, Southern Illinois. Illinois. Southern Illinois, yeah. I mean, that's been a long time. <laughs> Shoot, that was like two jobs ago for me uh so yeah that when you're talking about a drought that long i think a lot of hokies fans just want to say hey we've won an ncaa tournament for god's sake radford down the road has won an ncaa tournament game i know it was against a 16 seed to get in but uh i guess they have that little bit of bragging rights over virginia tech at least for the time being yeah i mean we'll talk about radford in a second here but yeah i think if 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 sexton were to score 45 points and just have an otherworldly performance and you know he ends up going in the NBA and you know doing great things in the NBA. Everyone could say, "Well, we just got beat by you know a, a, a terrific talent." But if he has an average game, if he has you know fifteen to twenty points, and Tech still loses a game, I think that hurts. I think that hurts a lot for for Tech fans who are uh, are really eager to to see what it, to know what it feels like to uh, to advance in this tournament and then you know roll the dice against uh, probably Villanova. Uh, now, Radford will try to beat Villanova tomorrow night. Uh, they are playing at 6.50. Is that right? 6.50. 6.50. Hokies are at 9.20. So, you know, they'll pass each other. Um, you know, when Radford's coming off the court, uh, the Hokies will be hustling on the court. Uh, their their locker rooms are right next to each other. These teams actually – I wrote about it for, for tomorrow's paper, but they – We're recording this Wednesday night, we should mention. Right. If you're listening to this Thursday, Wednesday, it's in Thursday's paper. Right, Thursday's paper. But, you know, the, these teams actually see quite a bit of each other in the summer. They play a lot of uh, pickup games in Blacksburg at the Honhurst Center, and uh, they – you know they they go hang out at the mall together and stuff. So they they you know they're not 
like brothers or anything like that, but they are, they are friendly with each other. And I know Robinson told me and, and several others said when they saw the score last night from Dayton, they were or from Tuesday night from Dayton. They were very uh, happy about that. They were proud of Radford. What, what was that game like? What was that experience like covering that first four in Dayton? It was a really good experience. It, it sort of changed my total perception of the first four. And for the longest time, I think I was like a lot of people where I was like, oh, this is a horrible that you make these teams go there and play for the right to go to the real tournament. But I'm there, and that feels like a real tournament. I mean, Dayton does it upright. The stadium, I mean, it looks like a bowling alley or an airport hangar or a terminal from the outside. Like, it doesn't look like much, and then you get inside, and it's, it goes down into the ground. It's kind of like the pit in Albuquerque. Uh, I cover, when I was in college, I covered Wisconsin, started, uh, I think it was the second, third and fourth rounds of the NCAA tournament was out there. It's kind of the same feeling in the stadium there, but uh, they've upgraded it quite, quite a bit. They have like sort of this luxury seating they're putting in. I think there were 12,000 plus fans at that game, which if it wasn't a sellout, it was darn near close to a sellout. I mean, they just put on a very good show. Uh, I, I think the locals come out and support the whole thing. And, you know, Radford had a decent crowd there, but it, it didn't feel like they were playing like an empty stadium or anything like that. So I was very impressed by the whole experience to go there. I know Mike Jones, the coach, talks highly of it. I mean, that's where his VCU run began when he was an assistant coach. Uh, the year the Rams went to the Final Four. Uh, so now it has that, and it also has Radford's first NCAA tournament win in school history. So he's very fond of the place. He'll, he'll go back there anytime he's ever called to go back to Dayton. He may be fond of Dayton, but he's not fond of giving up what the acronym cheese means. You had cheese. to really dig hard for that. That is right. They, they, in the pregame, in the warm-ups, Alabama, or, uh, Alabama uh, Radford was wearing these shirts that said cheese with periods between. So it was obviously an acronym. Uh, turns out that's been sort of like their team motto all year, uh, which stands for, let's see if I can remember this, commitment, hard work, uh, enthusiasm, extraordinary what was the s i'm drawing a blank here Satisfaction. i can't remember the rest of it something in excellence that's what it was uh something or other excellence anyway it was sort of like these six pillars of the program and what they're uh, trying to achieve this year and things that they needed to play championship basketball and that you know, they wore these little wristbands all year with it. And, uh, you know, so we asked them all about it today. And the players are like, oh, geez, this is what it stands for. And then we asked Mike Jones about it. He's like, I'm going to save that till later. He's like, well, they already told me about it. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that was how that went. But I, I think Radford, I mean, you were there at the press conference today on Wednesday, and these guys are loose. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying like, oh, they're loose. They're gonna go in with nothing to lose and win that game. It's, no, I mean, look at the facts. A 16 seed is a 0 and 132 all time against number one seeds. I mean, if 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 they were to pull this upset, it would be like the miracle on ice. I mean, that would be the magnitude of the the upset because uh, it's just never happened before. But you know, I think Radford's players are enjoying this whole experience. They've loved these last 48 hours. Uh, you know, even beyond that, from when they found out, when they when they won the Big South, or when they found out where they're going at the selection show, to going up there and then flying over here, chartered flight from Dayton to Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I think they're just enjoying the whole experience and having fun with it, and that's that's refreshing to see, because uh, this isn't the team that's going to win the NCAA tournament or anything like that. But it's not; they're not going to look back at their season as a failure if they don't. They're, this is one of the most successful seasons in school history. Uh, probably the most because they've won a game <laughs> in the NCAA tournament. Have won 23 games more than any other team in school history. So it's enjoyable to watch a team like that from afar and just kind of uh, enjoy the moment. It's kind of what college basketball is. Like you always talk about the Final Four and stuff, and like oh, get, these first two rounds are nice to see the upsets, but sometimes you see like the the faces and the stories behind some of those really high seeds, and it's it's a really special thing for these guys to be in the tournament. Yeah. It's, it'll be fun to watch them play. They're 23-and-a-half-point dogs tomorrow night, or tonight, I guess, uh, Thursday, Thursday night. night. Let's just say Thursday night uh, against Villanova. I thought that, that seemed a little light. I thought, thought it would be higher than that, something in the 27 to 28 range. A little bit of respect there for, for Radford, I think. Um, Although I, I don't love their chances of covering that number, I just don't. But well, Villanova can score. Yeah. I mean they're like top scoring team in the country, eighty seven points. Sacrifice is the S. Sacrifice. Commitment, hard work, which we're going to combine into one. Unless you're saying tweez. Yeah, it's tweez. Enthusiasm, extraordinary sacrifice, excellence, cheese. <laughs> well, 
take a wedge of that and then use it tomorrow night and see what don't happens. be cheesy now <laughs> oh, come on aaron <laughs> they're having queso fun dito in this tournament um, he could do this all day folks <laughs> All right, I saw as I was finishing up my second column today, you you were hastily putting together your bracket. Um, we can win up to a million dollars for life every year from our big boss in the sky there in Omaha uh, if we pick what all, everything through the second round correctly, I think. Is that what I it is? I think it's through the Sweet 16. It, you know, it doesn't have to be totally perfect, just through the Sweet 16. Well, they used to do the thing. It's like a million dollars for the rest of every year for the rest of your life if you pick the perfect bracket. Right, it's right. like, well, why don't I just get struck by lightning six times? Because the odds are better of me doing that than randomly picking the NCAA tournament correct from start to finish. Like, it's it's like, thanks for the offer, but it's not really ever going to happen. But you so. know what? There is a consolation prize. There's $100,000 for whoever in the company, and this is the entire BH media, company Berkshire Hathaway uh, that if if you whoever has the longest run of unbeaten victories so somebody's going to win a hundred thousand or it'll be split between you know the ties last year I was I started like eight no or something like that and there was only like 400 people left out of starting uh, like 30,000 or something like that. Okay, that's a lot of people, though. It's not like you were like right there. But if you had a 1 in 400 chance of winning $100,000, that's a that's a lottery ticket you would purchase. Yeah, I just I don't get excited about contests like this because the, the tournament is just so random, it feels like. It's like, oh, I'm going to put a lot of research in this, and I'm going to go through and pick all the upsets and stuff, and then... Some upset that nobody sees happen comes along and, like, somebody has picked the winner somewhere else in the office based on the uniform color or the mascots or something like that, and you lose. <laughs> so I, I don't get all hung up on, like, oh, my gosh, this is the hot team right now. I'm going to get it right. I feel like I have more fun filling out my bracket when I just put no research into it whatsoever. I just, oh, I here, here it is. First thought, these are my things. I'm not going to read up on all these teams. Well, you know what my research was? Looking at the lines. And so I took – and they're, they're really but weren't. then do you just pick all winners? I mean, the uh, upsets happen all the time. Pretty the much, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. Here's the way if I look at it. You're picking just winners. No, you're not gonna win Andy, that. You're not gonna win that BH contest well, because maybe, maybe some yeah, weird yeah. thing is gonna happen, and that's gonna knock a lot it's of people. It's not all out. necessarily higher seeds. It's favorites. It's favorites. If you if you did a parlay in Vegas and you took the money line and you bet you bet the favorite, you'd have the best. You know, the best odds would be to take. All the favorites. Is any seed lower, like a five seed, four seed, three seed, two seed, one seed, are any of those teams underdogs in a game? Because a bunch of those teams will lose, especially this year where yeah. I think the top of the bracket is not that strong. I mean, if, if the goal is to like go as undefeated as long as possible and be different by enough from enough other people to, to win this prize, like you have to get sort of crazy with some okay. of those picks and hope that they hit. I was going to buy you an ale I'm when admonishing, I won I'm admonishing your picking uh, decisions here. Your, your strategy you is all messed up. No ale for you. No ale for you. I'm taking 100000 I'm taking it straight over to the pit casino and doubling it. Um, Put it on black. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the bracket as a whole? Do you have a, do you have a dark horse pick or anything like that? I don't. I don't really have a good feel for any college basketball this year i mean like i said i've only seen three or four games and they've all been radford games so it's not like i have this you know huge wealth of knowledge on the thing you know i like uva a lot even without hunter and you know him being out for the tournament uh pretty crucial guy as a sixth man it sounds like he was, he was quite the contributor on that team uh as i mentioned before you know i'm a wisconsin graduate so i follow the wisconsin basketball a lot and they're just they play a style of basketball that is so conducive to the tournament because that defense shows up round after round after round. You're going to play in some close games, and you have to be able to sort of grind out some of those wins. I feel like UVA can do that, and maybe now that this year that they're put on the opposite end of the, the bracket from Michigan State, uh, you know, I feel like there's been some weird things that have kept them from sort of breaking through and getting to the Final Four, and uh, I don't know. They've caught a lot of breaks this year. You look at the end of that Louisville game that they definitely should have lost and how they won that one. They just seem to find a way to win games. Uh, so I like them quite a bit. It's just a really solid team that, you know, fluctuation up and down is not going to be that much. I, I don't, I'm not sitting here like, oh, if I got a hot tip from you, this number one overall seed in the tournament looks pretty good if you, you take a closer look. But uh, in, in a season where... There's so much volatility from those top programs. Uh, you know, I mean, 
Xavier's the number one seed. I don't think they have they had a number one seed before. Like Auburn was way up there for a while and then dropped down. It seems like teams will get up to the top of the polls and then lose all the time. I just don't quite trust a whole lot of teams. And Virginia feels like a team I can trust a little bit from a game-to-game basis. 17-1 and one in the best league in the country. Yeah. 17-1 yeah. I mean, in the best, best. I mean, that they wanted Cameron. I mean, that is really, 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 really hard to do. Uh, you've, you've covered Well, you can even take Duke, for instance. I mean, how hot and cold is Duke right now? Yeah, they look I, like, oh, this, this is the most talented team in the country. Who's going to beat this team? And then you turn around, they lose the next game. They look out of sorts, and they're not hitting threes. It's like, ah, oh, is Bagley being too selfish? You know, the whole Dan Dakich thing. It's like, I don't know. I, I just I trust Virginia a little bit more than I would trust Duke or North Carolina. I have Virginia beating Duke in the final. I think that's what I came up with, too. That's Maybe I might change this before I actually submit this bracket just to, to, to change things up a little bit. We can't have the same thought here. Well, I love I love DeAndre Hunter, but um, they're still good. They're still really good. And, and that 17-1 and one in the league is just really impressive. And, and they're, they just – I don't know. They just feel like a team that's ready to break through. Um, they, they'd be really – you know, nobody really – I mean, they weren't even ranked going into the season, and they've just kept winning. They just keep winning. Um, and their their performance in New York was very impressive, very impressive. All right, let's get into a little bit of spring football now, Andy. You um, – well, there was a press conference to – A pre-spring football press conference on Monday. Okay. The day that it snowed roughly six to seven inches in the New River Valley. Okay. So spring football was really undermined as you're shoveling the sidewalk to get rid of all this snow. I know you, you posted a picture of Emily uh, out in the snow, and you said, spring football is here, or something like that. It was fine. It was uh, a nice picture. Uh, it turns out a couple of days later she has two ear infections. Oh, no. So maybe that wasn't the best time spent <laughs> outside in the cold weather like that. Uh, she's on the men, some amoxicillin, and she's feeling better. Oh, that's good. But all right, we got three nuggets from that. Let's start with the Caleb Farley nugget. Um, you know, he was the guy who stood out in last year's spring game. Everybody thought, wow, they found themselves a really good receiver here. Uh, he started as cornerback, was going to move to receiver that year, and he got hurt, didn't play at all. And now what? He's back to defense? Is that what we're doing here? Back to defensive back, cornerback specifically. Uh, I think it was a move that sort of perplexed a lot of Hokies fans. It sounds like the coaches have been saying this at sort of these recruiting nights and quarterback club meetings in the offseason. I, you know, I asked Fuente about it on signing day. He's like, we haven't even thought about that. It's like, I think you have. I mean, the coaches have been talking about it this whole time, so I don't really know uh, the point of acting like you hadn't talked about it at that point. But, uh in Fuente's de- uh, description of it, it just sounds like cornerback was a bigger need right now than receiver. And that sounds stupid saying because they've been searching for receiver depth for the longest time. But uh, And you lose Cam Phillips. But on the cornerback side, you lose Brandon Faison, you lose Greg Stroman. And I, I thought it was interesting when Fuente was describing sort of why the cornerback position is so needed. It's like, well, we've had some questions surrounding the accountability and consistency of the older guys there. And that's, uh, you know, I think directly of Adonis Alexander in that situation, accountability, he's been suspended twice in his career. Uh, consistency, he has, he's been up and down at times. He's, he's shown like these flashes of brilliance at times. And there's other times like, what is he doing out there? So, um, you have that. You have uh, Jeremy Webb as a junior college guy who's not here right now. So it's not like he's getting the full spring practice. That's that's a pretty tall order to expect a guy just to come in in the summer and be like, oh, you're going to pick up everything right away. Uh, I think Tech is sort of covering its bases if it takes a little bit longer for him to acclimate himself to D1. Uh, behind that, behind those two, I mean, it's uh, Bryce Watts, who was a freshman last year, Javon Quillen, Tyree Rogers, who haven't gotten a whole lot of playing time at cornerback. I think there's a, a few more question marks there where you look at the other side of receiver, uh, Eric Kuma, Sean Savoy came along last year. C.J. Carroll, if he's healthy, is a veteran guy there. Uh, uh, Damon Hazelton uh, is, is someone who will miss the spring with an injury, uh, which is probably a little disappointing. He's a Ball State transfer, but I think they like everything that he's about. And the, you know, the little bit of time that we saw of him in uh, August practice last year, he looked like he belonged when he was out there. So you have those guys. You have a youngster like Trey Turner. Uh, Hezekiah Grimsley came along uh, at the end of last year. I think there's maybe a little more 
uh, younger guys that are perhaps further along or have a little bit higher potential in the receiver group than defensive back. And, you know, last year, I think everybody's judging their Caleb Farley love on how he did in the spring game. And yes, he was very explosive in that game and, you know, kind of made Brandon Faison look foolish a couple times on those routes, uh, forcing some pass interference calls. He'd only practiced there about half of the spring, and nobody really knows how he did as a defensive back. It sounds like he's a pretty good defensive back, too. So, uh, yeah, everybody saw what he did as a receiver, but if he can be a really effective defensive back, that's a pretty valuable thing to have on, on a defense as well, especially when you lose two senior corners that played so well like Stroman and Faison. Did you talk? You didn't talk to Farley yet, right? No, no just coaches. I mean, it, it was Monday. Yeah, Farley wouldn't have come anyway. We were going to get two players, but because school was canceled, the, the students could not come and then talk to us at the press conference that day. I would think if I were at Virginia Tech and they asked me which would you rather play, and I, I thought I had a pro future, I'd probably say oh, quarterback. Absolutely. Yeah. You just think like Brandon Flowers, D'Angelo Hall. I mean, just go down the list to Kyle Fuller right now, Kendall Fuller. Uh, yeah, that's that's the position that's going to make you a lot of money in your career uh, coming out of Virginia Tech. Devin Hunter, what's the news on him? Sounds like he'll get some reps at whip linebacker uh, this spring. I, I thought, sort of thought this might happen. I mean, he never really got much traction uh, in the secondary last year at safety. Uh, Terrell Edmonds, Reggie Floyd were the starters at the beginning of the year. Uh, Divine Diablo was coming along before he broke his foot in the first month. Terrell Edmonds gets hurt late in the year. Then Khalil Ladler comes in uh, ahead of Hunter and plays those snaps. I think that he's just sort of had more bodies there. And uh, Devin Hunter's, I, I think the position he was more natural at was Rover. And Reggie Floyd played pretty, really well last year. I don't think Reggie Floyd's going anywhere anytime soon. So I think this is just a move to get him uh, on the field a little bit more and, and maybe it's you know the whip is always more of a playmaking role and he's a guy that's sort of a little bit bigger body uh i think he's got a tackling ability i think they like him there and mook reynolds is missing the spring so that's wide open at that position it's a position where he can get a full complement of reps throughout the the entirety of spring so uh they kind of treat that whip as a third safety position essentially it's it's a hybrid half linebacker half defensive back uh, I just think they ha they think he has some of the skills to play that position, and you know it's it's a way to get a really talented guy on the field. I was going to ask you really what the difference between whip and rover are, but you just gave the whip definition there. What would you, how would you define rover uh, in the tech scheme? You know, it's it's probably a little more coverage than the whip. Obviously, I think you're you're put in some more coverage situations. Uh, you're further back. Whip, you're right there, right on the line a lot of times. Although with what Bud Foster does, a lot of times the uh, the rover will be up there in the box as well. I mean, look at what Kaishaw Jarrett did for all those years where he was essentially another linebacker out there. So uh, I, I think there's more similarities between those two than there are differences. When you hear whip linebacker and rover, a safety spot, you go, oh, those are two completely different levels of the field. But I think they're fairly interchangeable. And you look at somebody like, you know, Dion Newsom and Mook Reynolds in the past, They've gone back and forth between the safety spots and, and the whip. So, I mean, that should tell you how sort of similar they are structurally in the defense. Do you know why they didn't go with whip and Nene instead of whip and Rover? I think the whip position name predates okay. the whip and Nene song. Okay. But I'll be honest, I like your suggestion. I, th I think they should update the terms and, and, and try to work that in. Well, of course, everybody wants to know about the quarterback. Um, Josh Jackson's the incumbent. How secure is his job at this point? Uh, how open is the competition in Fuente's eyes? You know, Fuente, his exact quote was, yeah, if we start a game tomorrow, Josh is going to be our starter. I think he's not. his head's not in the sand with the fact that Jackson started 13 games last year, and he was highly complimentary of, of Jackson. He said, you know, I think he's tough as nails, and you know, I think really highly of the way he goes about his business. Uh, but he acknowledges that he's got to see what they have in the other guys on this team. And that's Hendon Hooker, who redshirted last year, six foot four, two hundred fifteen pound guy, probably bigger than that now. Uh, year in the weight room, uh, you know, he's a really talented guy, dual threat guy. Had a very good spring game last year. Was in the competition, sort of borderline on whether he was going to play or redshirt. They ended up redshirting him. Uh, and Ryan Willis, who's a, a transfer from Kansas. Kind of got thrown in the fire early on at Kansas, which was – Kansas is just a dreadful team, so I don't know how much you can tell based on his stats, just on how he did there. But he had to sit out last year, but now he's here and he's sort of in the mix. You know, I think Fuente's whole thing is 
you know, the Hokies need to see how those two guys respond in certain situations because he's seen how Josh responds over the entirety of the year and an entirety of actual games uh, throughout the season. So he's going to put those other guys in situations a little bit more where maybe he doesn't need to get that evaluation on Jackson. Uh, see if there's a chance that either of those guys could unseat him for the job. I, I don't think it's a closed competition by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not going to sit here and say everybody's on an even footing going into it, but uh, certainly it's in Fuente's best interest and the Hokies' best interest, best interest to play the best guy. And I, I don't think Fuente's just going to sit here and say, yeah, Jackson was a starter last year. He's starting again because of that. Well, the Hokies held their pro day today on Wednesday. Uh I know you're devastated that you missed that, but did you did you glean any nuggets from following it from afar? A lot of running and jumping from my what I gathered from they have afar. Stopwatches as well. A lot of stopwatches. It looks like Mike Tomlin was there. So you know, every year you probably get one or two head coaches uh, that show up. I mean, obviously, Tremaine Edmonds the big draw. Uh, you know, when you have a potential top ten pick there you're going to get a lot of interest from a lot of teams. I, re- I remember in past years where the Tokies have not had a great draw of prospects in the draft, and not even every team showed up to it. This time, I th- it looks like all 32 were there. There were some big-gun scouts that were there as well. Uh, you know, Edmonds, uh, Settle, who said he weighed 323 pounds at weigh-in today, which for a guy who was 335, 330, 335, maybe more than that once the season started, that's a pretty considerable drop, uh, especially for somebody when you go back to his freshman season, it was 365. Uh, I think he wanted to do a little bit better than he did at the Combine. He kind of stumbled on some drills, didn't uh, run or as fast or jump as high. I don't know why you're asking 330-pound people to run 40 yards in a straight line. I don't know how, how often that is going to come in handy in an NFL football game, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think Tim wanted to come back out and prove some things, and it sounds like he did. Uh, but, again, I don't know how much this stuff really changes that much in the, the eyes of these. I mean, they've seen the tape. I mean, is a one-hour workout going to change the minds of the scouts versus what you did on tape for 13 games for one year or the previous year on top of that? I mean, that's sort of your body of work, I think, what they want to see out of these guys is how they compete and talk to them off the field and all the, you know, the character stuff that goes along with it. I think that's sort of the more important part of this process. And yeah, it's important to jump high and run fast and all that stuff. But I think sometimes we get a little bit too carried away with some of the measurables with that. From, from a reporter's perspective, are, are you more interested in a season or in a draft like this where you got a first rounder in all likelihood and you've got some other high, highly talented players, or are you more interested in like a last year when you, you're wondering if Gerard Evans is even going to get taken and you got some guys who've done, you know, really, really good things in the program. Uh, you're wondering whether they're even going to get drafted, you know, the, the guys that went late last year and you had the Bucky situation. You didn't know where he was going to go based on his measurables versus experience and all those things. Uh, are you more interested this year than last year? I guess is my question. It's it's always more interesting when there's a guy really high up in the draft because you go, what are the possibilities with him? I mean, what I mean, this I've seen mock drafts with Edmonds going as high as number six to the Jets, which maybe is a stretch. It seems like the Jets might want to invest in a quarterback uh, at some point with this stuff, but. Uh, when there's a possibility of that, like Kyle Fuller going in the first round of the Bears, like it's it makes you tune in that first night. You actually care. You see a, a hoagie on the stage, and you're like, oh, where's this guy going to go? Where's it going to end up? Uh, last year, it was I didn't even have to watch the draft the first two days. I mean, none of the hoagies were going to go <laughs> in any of those first three rounds. Uh, then it got pretty far into the second or third day before – those guys started coming off the board, and Chuck Clark was the first guy off the board. You go, my gosh! I mean, they had three underclassmen from the offense, and uh, they didn't even get selected there. So, yeah, I, I think it's a little more interesting when they're they're spread out, and there's guys on the first day of the second day because it's just a little bit more high profile selection than uh, you know you're you're teetering towards Mister Irre- Irrelevant in some of those final rounds. And there's a little less of the panic, not panic, but like you know the frantic. Uh, posting of capsules after the guys get drafted in quick succession in yeah. round six and seven. Uh, all right. We like to end this thing on a prediction as promised. We're going to predict whether the Hokies advance out of this first round or not. Andy, the line is two. We'll just, we'll just make it a straight up pick here. 
Will the Hokies beat Alabama on Thursday night? Yes. yes. I changed my really? mind from before the podcast. Wow, our pre-show research you know what it, down the tubes. Yeah, you know what it was is I, I kind of looked at Alabama's schedule. Yeah, they had that good run in the SEC tournament. But like you mentioned, they have a lot of losses. They lost five straight there at the end of the year. Like I know they have that really good talent in Colin Sexton. I wonder how much they have beyond that. So maybe this will look foolish, but I'm going to pick the Hokies. Take another step in their postseason achievement and, and win a game this year. I think the Hokies are one of the best bets on the board in the in the first four. Well, first you're round. Aaron McHokey. I wouldn't true. expect you to say anything That's otherwise. That's true. That's true. I I think they are, uh, you know, giving two points. I, I like them a lot. I Auburn was a shell of itself. I mean, Auburn is a popular pick to get bounced here very early in this tournament, despite how uh, highly ranked they were earlier in the season. Tech is battle tested, man, and I, you know, the the SEC has is a better. I mean, SEC got eight teams in the tournament this year. That's only one fewer than the ACC set got. But if you're going to compare leagues, I don't think there's. Yeah, yeah the top of the ACC is way yeah. ahead. I mean, Kentucky won the SEC, and this is not a, a vintage Kentucky team. And those are the teams the Hokies beat. The teams that are at the top of the ACC. Um, I, I think I think Tech's ready to to do this. They're ready to win this game. Uh, you know, bonus pick. I don't think they're going to beat Villanova. Uh, that's not not uh, earth shattering news. But wait, are you picking Villanova over Radford too? That's, that was just a given. I'm your prediction. I, I, like I said, I don't really love Radford's chances of covering the twenty three and a half, much less getting out of here and creating an all new River Valley uh, second round matchup, which I would love to see. Don't get me wrong, that would be. Uh, incredible to be able to cover something like that. And uh, certainly my column tomorrow night would be on Radford instead of Virginia Tech. Uh, and I'd do something online only for Tech because I'd be writing so much about this historic upset in the uh, 650 game. But I don't, you know, look, it's there's a reason it's never happened. Um, Radford, you're right, they're having all sorts of fun. And I think, you know, it ends now, but it, there's nothing – you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of by any stretch. Uh, they, they've really had a, an amazing season. Uh, and they're going to be good next year, too. Radford, Radford could be good next year. I mean, Carly Jones, freshman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Randy Phillips is a senior. Yeah, he's I'm good. not sure how many other seniors. A couple other seniors on the Polite's team. But a Polite's junior. a junior. Carly Jones is back. Uh, yeah, a lot of guys coming back on that team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, good times in Radford. Uh, interesting times at Virginia Tech as well. And hopefully everybody gets to enjoy both of those games. You know, sit down, you know, with your family, watch those games, and or or come on up. There are probably uh, tickets available if you if you act fast. Uh, anything else we want to get to? Or is... I don't think okay. so. I well, think we're good on this one. All right, that's uh, gonna do it for us. We'll get together again soon for Andy Bitter. This is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.